Well, good morning, West Valley. It's a privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning. And my hope this morning is that, uh, I don't know, maybe this morning would feel a little bit more like a, a cooking class in a cafeteria as we dive into God's Word. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a little work on your end. Maybe you're not used to working too hard on a Sunday, or maybe you are, but we're going to cover a lot of text this morning, okay? It's going to be a large passage. I pray that it's worth it. I pray that it's worth it. So if you want to open up to uh, page 939, we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, 939, if you're using a blue Bible. And if you're using a black Bible, it's page 1747. Romans chapter 1. Hopefully this feels a little more like a cooking class, because you guys know the difference, right? Cafeteria, you get the prepackaged food, it's easy, but it doesn't taste very good, right? Cooking class, it's fun, you get to experiment with flavors, it takes a little bit of work, but you get to taste it, you get to enjoy what you made. And so we're going to enter the Apostle Paul's kitchen here, and what we're going to find this morning, as you look at Romans 1, is we're going to see what his recipe for prayer is. What is it that, that fueled his prayer? What is it that maybe can fuel our prayer or motivate us to pray? Because if you're like me, uh, if there's one thing that, that you love to work on more or wish was better in your life, it's, it's your prayer life. You're like, ah, I wish I was better at praying. I wish that it was, I had more of a robust prayer life. I think we're going to see this morning how we can get there and why that matters and why that the Lord uses our prayers to actually impact the world around us. And so we're going to see that in Romans chapter 1. And after we read a little bit from Romans chapter 1, we're going to read some from Romans chapter 15. So have your Bibles ready, have them open, have your fingers ready to uh, thumb back and forth. But here we go, chapter 1, Romans, starting in verse 8. Put your aprons on. We're entering the Apostle Paul's kitchen. Here we go. First, Paul says, I thank my God Through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all time, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'd love for you to to, to shift over to Romans chapter 15. A few pages later, we're going to pick up on the same idea. See if you can spot some of the same themes, Paul's ingredients, if you will, for what goes into fueling his prayer life. People and power and, and, and praise to God. Chapter 15, starting in verse 17. This is what Paul says. It says, Therefore, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, 
so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Listen now he ends this section. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in the struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I will take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into this section of scripture how we see it fuel our own prayer life to be outward focus for the salvation and the good of others around us. Let me pray. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you give us your word. God, that it is true, it is relevant, it is powerful. God, it it, it exposes our own heart, and and when it exposes it, it it also encourages it because it it, it points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would um, not just inspire us this morning or inform us, I pray that you would transform us to be the kind of people who who have an eye for those around us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Would you help us to grow in affection for people? Would you give us the desire uh, to pray this morning, even as we're doing now? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is it that fueled Paul's prayer life? Why do we see him praying so much in the sections of Scripture that we just read? What motivated him? What, what helped him to persevere even when prayer is hard? A few things we notice. The first is this. If you want to write it down, we see that Paul has a genuine affection for people. He has a genuine affection for people. And you're going to kind of go back and forth between chapter 1 and verse 15, but look at chapter 1 for a moment. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Chapter 1, verse 9, he goes on to say, God is my witness, how constantly I remember you. All the way in verse 11, he says, I long to see you. So he, he loves the people in Rome. He loves the people he's actually never met before. Chapter 15, he says something very similar. Chapter 15, verse 23, he says, I've been longing for many years to come and see you. In other words, this letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, it's not the obligatory happy birthday text that you send to mere acquaintance, okay? He's he's thinking about them. He's purposeful with them. he's, He's looking forward to seeing them, which is surprising because he's actually never met them. Most of the churches that Paul writes to, he helped to plant them. He helped get it started. He's, he's talked to them. He's spent time with them. Rome, he's actually never met them. He's heard of their faith. It says in verse 8, it's being reported all over the world, but he's never actually seen them face to face, and yet he loves them. He has a genuine affection, and he's praying for them. 
Can you imagine if, if you were confident, if you were assured that here at West Valley, and maybe this is already happening, hopefully, here at West Valley, somebody was praying for you day in, day out, like, like Paul is praying for the saints in Rome. Wouldn't that encourage you? What if, what if your non-Christian neighbor or coworker or family knew that you had an affection like this toward them, that, that whether they agree with you about who God is and that sort of thing, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you prayed for them each and every day? How might that change the opportunities that you have with them when you see them? Paul has a genuine affection for these people. But I think it goes the other direction as well. Because he has a, an affection for them, he prays for them, but, but catch this, it actually is the inverse. Because he prays for them, he has a deeper affection for them. Have you ever noticed that? When, when, when you start to pray for someone, you, you start to be wrapped up in the things that they care about, right? Because you're praying for them, it matters to you the outcome of things in their life. How, how, is, how is the person in their family doing who I've been praying for who's in the hospital? Are they getting better? How did that job interview go? I'd, I'd love to hear. How's the fight against sin that you've asked me to pray when temptation comes? Is, is God helping you? Are you growing in that? Have you been able to see victory in it? You actually care about the things that they care about when you pray for them. It's like this positive feedback loop. And so this morning, if, if you're not sure where to start, you're like, I feel like I don't have a, a genuine affection for people. Here's my, here's my encouragement to you. Start praying for them. By name, start praying for them. An evangelistic application, we'll, we'll see this later as the, the morning goes on, but you, you probably saw one of these in your, your bulletin. We actually have buttons for you this morning, believe it or not. Yeah, buttons that you can wear. Why? As a visual reminder from the evangelism team to, to pray for people, to, to stir one another up, to love and good works. Notice that Paul here, he, he prays for all people, particularly non-Christians. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you. He's been prevented from doing so, but he wants to come to them in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. In fact, he says he's obligated. He has a duty to preach the gospel to all people. He, he, he sees himself as indebted to preach this good news. In fact, in chapter 15, verse 21, he doesn't even want to preach where others have preached. He goes, I want to go to new territories. I want to go to Spain where the gospel's not even yet been heard. Because he's so eager, he loves people, and he prays for people. He wants those who have never heard to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. And before we move on to see this second ingredient that fueled Paul's prayer life, maybe a question we can ask ourselves, myself included, is this. Who am I currently actively, purposely, affectionately trying to share the good news of Jesus with? Am I trying to share the gospel with anyone in my life? That's not to guilt any of us. It's not to embarrass any of us. But could it be that part of the reason our prayer life might feel like it's plateaued at times or it's stunted is because we're not actually sharing the gospel? We're not taking the risk to, to tell others about Jesus. If, if you want your prayer life to, to, to be robust, there's nothing that will fuel it more than sharing the gospel with people. Why? As one who's in campus ministry full-time, there's nothing that makes you more dependent on the Lord than sharing the gospel. Partly because only God can change hearts, but because it can be actually kind of scary when you start to talk about Jesus to people. So if we open our mouth about Jesus, it'll actually cause us to pray for people. You know, one, one pastor says it this way, if we're not sharing the gospel with people, if we're only investing in Christians, that's a good thing. We, we should invest in other brothers and sisters in Christ, but that's not actually called discipleship. That's called recycleship. 
We're just we're staying kind of inward and right that's why as a church we want to be outward focused. Yes, to be built up as a church, but that we can go outward and, 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 and share the good news of Jesus. Evangelism requires a life of prayer. So maybe one, one very practical application before we move on is this. If you have a, a pen or a pencil or using your phone to take notes, write down the name of two people, even right now, who, who you'd love to see come to Christ. Would you consider committing personally and as a church to pray for those two people this summer? To see what the Lord might do. Maybe you have been praying for them, but, but to pray for them by name and, and ask the Lord specifically, God, would you bring them into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ? Would you give me opportunities to be bold, to be winsome, to be loving toward them, and to see what the Lord does as we pray for them this summer. That's the first thing that drove Paul to pray for the saints in Rome and for those who he had never met. He had a genuine affection for people, but notice that he didn't just have a genuine affection for people, he was confident in the power of the gospel. Look, look at verse 16 of chapter 1. We're, we're, we're familiar with this verse. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Right? He has a confidence in it. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's a great verse. The gospel is powerful. It's the message that we proclaim. And yet, if you think about it, presumably Paul could have said other things and he still would have been theologically right. Consider what he might have said in in chapter 1, verse 16. He could have said, for the gospel is the love of God. Certainly we see the love of God on display as we consider what Jesus has done. But he didn't say the love of God. He said power of God. He could have said it's the wisdom of God. Who else could have thought up a plan from before the, the foundation of the world to rescue sinners like you and me? Certainly God is wise, but he doesn't say wisdom. He says power. Paul was, Paul was confident in this power. Look at verse 18 of chapter 15. If you need to flip there again, chapter 15, verse 18. Brings it up twice. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the, Holy, of, of, of the Spirit of God. Paul's ministry, friends, our ministry, our ministry, Paul's prayers and our prayers, they're fueled by the power behind them. A.W. A. Tozer, he, he puts it this way. He says, what prophet is there in prayer? Maybe you've asked a similar question. What, 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 why do we pray? I hear a lot about prayer. I know I should pray, but what's the point of it? Does God really listen? He says, what's the prophet in prayer? He says, much in every way, prayer is an invitation to omnipotence, for prayer engages the omnipotent God and brings him into our human affairs. Nothing is impossible to the man or woman who prays in faith, just as nothing is impossible for God. What he's saying is this, that when you and I pray, it's like we're plugging our life into the infinite power grid, which is Jesus himself. Do you realize that there is a power behind us and in us and with us when we pray? It's why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. It's kind of like this. If you're a fan or not, it doesn't matter. But Tom Brady, he's retired now. Maybe some of you are thankful for that. But Tom Brady, he's probably the the closest to true football power that I think I'll ever experience in my life, right? He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. Whether you agree with it or not, he really is. Okay, greatest quarterback of all time. If if you ever watched him play, you know these mic'd up moments that they'll, like, put a microphone under their helmet and... If you listen to any of the stuff after the game, you never got the sense that he was, he, was, he was wondering if they would win. He would be down by three touchdowns. And what does he do? He comes to the sideline. He's like, all right, let's get it. 
Why? Because he knew he was good. He knew he was the greatest. And maybe some would call that cocky, I don't know, but there was a confidence and he really won a lot of Super Bowls. In the same way, but how much more so, think about this. You and I know the greatest of all time. His name is Jesus Christ. And when we pray, we tap into that same power. This is the one who, who breathed out stars, who defied death, who sustains the universe. When we pray and we ask him and we go to him in dependence, he, he answers our prayer and he delights to hear us. In other words, you and I, we are never out of it. Even if it feels like all odds are against us, because of the gospel, we can pray big prayers. Maybe the riskiest thing to do is to not pray at all. Paul has a confidence in the power of the gospel. That's why, I, why Pastor Alistair Begg, he, he, he says it this way he, he, in his book, Big, Big Prayer. He says he'd love to remove two words from the English language, maybe the sub-Christian culture language when it comes to prayer. And it's these two words, be with. He says, I'd love to get rid of those two words from prayer, be with. Be with Johnny as he travels to wherever. Be with Susie as she goes into her appointment. Those aren't untheological prayers per se, but they're small prayers. He calls them unimaginative, limited, unambitious. Why? Friends, think about it. Jesus has already promised us that he is with us. In fact, he says he's with us till the very end of the age. His power, his authority, his presence are with us. Do we believe that? Do you, do, you, do you and I live like that when we go into our, into our work on Monday morning? When we go home to parent our children, when we, when we step outside to get the mail and we, we interact and rub shoulders with our neighbors? Do we live as though Jesus is with us in every moment? That he has all authority in heaven on earth? Friends, if we believe that, how might that change the way we pray? How might that encourage us to ask for bigger things, to, to be riskier in our prayer, to pray the thing that we think, man, does God, is he really going to answer this? If we believe that God is powerful, that the gospel is true, we might actually pray those kind of prayers. Again, Tozer puts it this way. He says, one miraculous prayer and an answer to it within a congregation will do more to lift, encourage, and solidify the people of God than almost any other thing. I think that's why Pastor Mark even encouraged us this week to consider stories of how God's at work in our church. Why? Because when we hear God answer prayer, when we hear God show up in big ways or even small ways, that stirs our heart. Not just to worship, but to actually take risks ourselves, to love people, to serve people. And so Paul, he has a confidence in the God who has all authority. But notice that as, as, as we wrap up, that, that it's not just his affection for people. It's not just uh, his, his, his confidence in God's power that drove him to pray. Like any, any, any uh, recipe, right, if you're missing even one ingredient, right, the baking soda, it doesn't work. He has one more ingredient for us that fueled his prayer life, and it's this, that he, he wanted God to get all the praise, or he wanted God to get all the glory. He, was, he had a heart, not for his own being built up, but, but God getting all the credit, for the praise of God's glory. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. He's asking for God to make it possible for him to visit the saints in Rome. He says almost the same exact thing in chapter 15. If you need to flip there, chapter 15, verse 32. He says, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. He's, he, he, has a, he has a sense of God's sovereignty, that God is the one to direct him. Yes, Paul is making plans, 
It's good to make plans. It's good to have a purpose in life, to be uh, purposeful and take initiative. That's a good thing. But you never get the sense that Paul is presumptuous. He never just assumes what God is going to do. He makes his plans, and yet he says, it's only by the will of God that God would open up the way for me to come to you. And friends, I think that can be a very difficult thing when it comes to prayer, because here's where we often find ourselves. Am I praying because it's going to happen, or, 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 is, or is it not going to happen? Am I just waiting on God? Which one is it? Is it my desire? Is it God's sovereignty? And I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. God delights to hear from his children. God asks us to persevere in prayer, and yet it is up to God to answer in his own way, in his own time, but we know that he's good. Paul's never presumptuous. He says, it's only by the will of God that I might even come to be with you, and yet... He's making plans to come to them. In fact, he makes plans that he wants to even get to Spain where the gospel's not been preached. Did he ever get there? Some would say he did. Some would say he didn't. Regardless, his, he, the credit goes to God. Look at chapter 15, verse 17. He says, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. He wants God to get the glory. He doesn't want to take the credit himself. One verse later in chapter 15, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I don't know about you guys, that, that can be difficult for me because I often want some of the credit. When somebody becomes a Christian, when there's some answered prayer, when something goes good in my life, I want to point to something that I did. And we do have a responsibility. We're, we're called to open our mouth. We're called to love people. But ultimately, it's the Lord. It's the Lord to accomplish anything good in our life, which I think is such a helpful thing because here's what happens. If we try to take the credit, it puffs us up with pride when things go well. That's, that's not a good thing, but then what's the other dark side to that? It causes us to despair when life doesn't go well. Paul says, I'm not even trying to take any of the credit. All glory be to God. He gets the credit. It's by his will that anything in my ministry, anything in my life would happen. I think that actually encourages us to want to pray. Because if it's not up to us, and the answer's not dependent on us, then we can just ask and say, Lord, we know you're good. Your track record is that you love us. You died for us while we were your enemies. Would you save others who are also your enemies? Would you, would you show them the same mercy and grace and patience that you've shown me in my life? And we pray for people. So how do we keep our dependence on God? Very simply this. Friends, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus this week. As you pray, pray that he would get the glory. In his time, in his way, in the manner that he, he would get glory, pray that he would be worshipped, pray that he would become bigger in our eyes, and in the lives of those who we want to see come to faith. That's why I think Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Friends, the reason he was bold is not because he was so much better than us at praying. The reason he was bold is because he was confident in the gospel. He, he knew who his God was. And, and friends, the same spirit that lived inside of Paul lives inside you and me. If our faith is in Christ. That's why Paul, he ends this section in chapter 15. He says it's a struggle, verse 30. He calls the saints in Rome to join him by praying to God for him. And then notice the last verse that we read this morning, verse 33. He's convinced that the struggle's worth it. He says the God of peace is with him. And friends, he's with you and I as well as we pray for those around us, as we seek to reach our neighbors and our friends and our family, as we seek to grow in him ourselves and become more like Jesus each and every day. So as I get ready to pray and we, we get ready to take the, the Lord's Supper, the, the next time that you, you wonder if God's listening, does God even care about my prayer? Is he going to answer it anyway? 
remember that God is not just affectionate toward people. God has set his affection on you. God has loved you when, when you were unlovable. He's loved me when we've done nothing to earn it. He is affectionate toward you. He's rescued us through the power of his gospel. And that from him and to him and through him are all things that he gets the glory for all that happens in our life, that all happens in our ministry, that all that God does through this church, would he be bigger in our eyes as we even become less to be, be faithful and humble servants to be used by God. That's the kind of prayer that Paul prays. That's the kind of prayer that I hope maybe we would pray as a church, even as we seek to reach the community and world around us through the power of the gospel. Let me pray for us, and, uh, and we'll, we'll have a little more to share as the morning goes on about how we can do this practically, but let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are a big God. Thank you that you, um, you could do everything apart from us. God, you don't need us to, to do anything, and yet you, you give us the privilege of inviting us into uh, share the good news of Jesus with, with people around us. I pray that, that because of the gospel, we would have a confidence and, and, and an assurance and a delight to share good news with those who are lost. I pray that, that we would remember how much you've rescued us, that our worship of you, our delight in you, our affection toward you would increase as we remember Jesus Christ. Would you make us the kind of people who do everything for your glory? We thank you that you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.